And fifthly, uh, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. And Matthew 7.11, if you want to turn back there, everybody turn back to Matthew 7.11. Come on. Uh, don't, don't just, this is not a spectator sport. Uh, you're participants. Remember I told you it's like you're at a coffee table, and if there was a table between us, I'd be looking over to see where you were in your Bible. Uh, but Matthew 7.11, look what it says. And it's this whole thing. It starts in verse 7. He's continuing about prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Uh, verse 8, everyone who asks receives. Verse 9, who, who asks for something and they don't get, they get a stone. And then look at verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is that what your Bible says? Yes or no? What does it say? Yeah. Now, this brings up something very interesting. The Gospels are a four-part, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a four-part view of Jesus Christ. He's the center. He's the focal point. But Matthew and Mark and Luke and John each look at him from a different angle. So you just read Matthew 7.11. Turn to Luke 11.13 because now you'll see what else Jesus said that in Matthew's purposes that God led him, he really doesn't talk. Matthew doesn't really bring up the Holy Spirit very much. But look what Luke 11 and verse 13 says, if I can ever get there. Look what it says. Um, Verse 9, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be... Does that sound strangely familiar? Why, we're in the same... And everyone who asks, verse 10 of Luke 11, receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks, it will be open. And, and so Jesus is talking... And then there's that stone thing in verse 11. But now look at verse 13. If you then... And this is almost exactly the same words... If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Do you know what the, the best thing God can give us is of those good things? The Spirit of God. But we're supposed to ask. Look, look at, at verse 9. Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask for the Spirit's fullness. Ask for his power. Ask for his anointing. Ask for his giftedness. Ask for his moving on our life. Ask. That's what we just did in the last, were all of you listening to that last song? That was an invitation for spirit fullness. Spirit of the living God. Melt me. I'm cold. Mold me. I'm misshapen and twisted. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Use me. Jesus taught his disciples that the only way they can make it is to seek spirit fullness. Number six, uh, look at Matthew, back to Matthew. All these are in Matthew, but I just showed you the rest of the story there in Luke. But look at Matthew 13. It's interesting, when Jesus gives his parable teachings, the majority of them, actually two-thirds of them, all involved finances about, you know, uh, uh, talents and, and uh, you know, each one entrusted with different amounts in accounting and everything. And basically, what Jesus taught over and over his disciples is that their life, 
Our life can be invested. Your life and my life can be invested. The question is, where? Where? Where are you investing your life? Do you know every movie that's ever been made? Do you know every sports statistic that's ever been made? Do you know every financial, you know, what the Swiss franc riled, roiled the markets this week and what the projections are and this or that? Do you know every nuance of your favorite activity or game? I mean, some people live in a mythical world and they know everything about it. You're investing your life. But where you're investing it isn't where Jesus said is a wise investment. Look, look, look how Jesus talks about our lives in Matthew 13 and uh, verse 23. But he who received the seed on good ground, and I'm writing this verse right there, is he who hears the word, understands it, and bears fruit. The way that we invest our life is by bearing the fruit that God wants. What is that? It's what pleases him. God wants to see us growing in our life the qualities, the, the characteristics, the works, the good works we were designed to do. You and I were each designed to do something. And if we invest our life with God, we... We, some of us, can invest part of our life and be a 30-fold. That's the last one. Some of us can invest, you know, more of our attention on God and be a 60-fold. And some can be a 100-fold. What, what he's saying is there are levels of fruitfulness depending on how much of your life you invest. Now, remember, most of those people, um, and back here when I was... Let, let me take you back to this, because I want to show you this John 7 one. Because this is the mechanism. Look at John 7 with me, and I want you to think for a moment the implications of how we invest with God. The only way that this investment plan works is it has to be operated by and, and energized by and prompted by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, verse 37 of John 7, if anyone drinks... Uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So that's salvation. He's the water of life, and if you get saved, it's a personal thing. It's kind of like uh, everybody out there has a water bottle. If you don't, then you haven't drank of that. And there's a lot of people going to church that, that are around people that have drunk of the water of life, and they never have. Jesus said it's personal. You must personally receive me. You must drink and have the water of life. And here's how you know it happened. Verse 38. The, the drinking is by believing in him, by, by that... Uh, being a beggar and, and pleading for his mercy and reaching out to him. But when that happens, by faith you believe in him. The scripture says immediately what the Lord does is, verse 38, out of his innermost being comes torrents of living water, life-giving water. The Lord says the only thing that prevents a drought in your life is believing, and, and as we saw in the prayer, asking for the Spirit, because out of us will flow rivers of living water. When I was uh, uh, in middle school, I, we had this wonderful youth pastor. He came to Lake Lansing Baptist Church, and he says, I want all of you to become fire hydrants. 
you know, when I thought of a fire hydrant, I thought of a dog lifting its leg, you know, and that was my picture, or you lean your bike against it. I mean, what is a fire hydrant? I mean, uh, something that's wet upon and leaned on, you know, and, and whatever. No, no, he says, have you ever seen the pictures of the inner city where the firemen come and they go like this on the bolt and they, they let the water loose and it makes this big fountain? And you notice the fire hydrant doesn't go anywhere. People come when they see that geyser of refreshment. They are drawn to it. And he says, that's what I want you to be wherever the Lord has put you in life. And he looked at us and he said, some of you are in Hazlitt Middle School and some of you are going to be in Hazlitt High School and I want you to be a fire hydrant and ask the Lord to unleash the power of the Spirit through your life. You don't have to go anywhere. His idea was, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to change anything. Just surrender and let the Lord. He designed us to, when he has control of our lives, he unleashes a fountain, look at verse 38, of life-giving water. 